privilege to be here with you guys and to worship with you. And I mean, worship, that was, uh, that was beautiful, what, what you guys just did. So Justin and team, thank you. Yeah, awesome. Man, Ben on the Holy Spirit keys there, that was, that was good, man. Hey, if you're new to Como Prez, I wanted to say two things. One, welcome. Welcome to, uh, to the family of God. Welcome to Como Prez. Two, in case you're wondering, no, I am not. Uh, Pastor Rick Duncan, um, he, uh, he he called over at Shoreline. I have the privilege to uh, to serve as a pastor at Shoreline Community Church. And Rick said, I want to go on vacation. I want to hold my grandbaby. And so we need someone to step up and step in. I said, put me in, coach. I'll do it. So we talked to Pastor Kevin, our lead pastor there. And uh, I just want you to know that there's a beautiful harmony, partnership between these two churches, between Shoreline and Como. If you've been coming here for a while, yeah, yeah, we can clap. Might be two churches, but we serve one God, right? Two different expressions, but but we are absolutely united. And God is is doing something. I've only been on the peninsula for six years. Came from San Diego, but the, um, the there is a unity that's going on amongst the churches, and it's beautiful. It's it's what church should be about: supporting and and, and praying for one another. We pray for you guys all the time. I serve in Pacific Grove at our campus. It's getting ready to be two years old at the end of May. I'm really excited about that. And uh, we, what I say is we're a church in a box. All our stuff goes into a uh, two trailers in a box. We roll it all out. We set it all up at Robert Down Elementary School. And we do church. And we experience the presence and power of Jesus' name. And we pack it all up again. And we do it the following week. And it's an absolute blessing to be in the community. But I just want you to know, I feel like we're neighbors. I feel like we're neighbors being in Carmel, being, uh, being in Pacific Grove, being in Monterey, and, uh, and it's just a beautiful thing. When I came here this past Tuesday to meet Rick and just kind of get some insights of, of what to expect and what he expects of me, uh, he said two things. I just have two requirements. Uh, one, that uh, you would really write a sermon that, that, that just kind of unpacks this end of the series that we're in. He said we're in this series called Disconnected. The church, and not only the church, our culture is faced with a challenge of how do we, we've been the most connected generation uh, ever in, in the history of time, yet we're so disconnected. Disconnected relationally, disconnected spiritually. How is that? That we're so, we have the ability through technology to be so connected, yet we're disconnected. He said, can you write a sermon about that that brings biblical truth and biblical understanding, really biblical boundaries around that? And I said, you got it. I got to pray. <laughs> I, I got to pray. He said, the second thing is, is I need you to uh, put on a sport coat and a tie. <laughs> or at least for the first service. I don't know why he was saying that. I showed up on Tuesday with board shorts and sandals. And uh, <laughs> uh, so I did. I opened up scripture. I prayed. And here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying. First of all, I, I felt like God was saying, I need you to, to give a word of the Lord to the, to the church, but I need you to give a word from the Lord as well. And, uh, and I have that from the Lord. I feel like the Holy Spirit has just pressed a, a divine burden on my heart to share some scripture with you that might not be new to you, uh, but I pray that it will be impactful and that it will be practical for you as we try to wrestle with this idea of being disconnected yet connected at the same time. Because here's the truth. Technology is radically changing the culture we live in radically changing. And it reach does, doesn't stop there with culture. Technology has a holistic, a holistic impact on us as people, as parents, as, as Christians, and our children. I see it. 
we go out to dinner, and, and it's amazing to see how many little ones are holding phones, right? And, and, and I'm not trying to be judgmental on that. I'm just saying this is the new normal. You know, when I was when I was a new house, <laughs> I didn't have a phone in my hand, but that wasn't the culture that I, I grew up in. Now this is the culture that our kids are growing up in, and we have to embrace it. But do we have to allow it to be the center of our lives? I pray that not happens. How do we leverage it? That's what we're talking about. How do we leverage technology to enhance our relationships, to enhance the fact that you and I are created in the image of a good, good God? Uh, but I'm nervous. If I'm going to be honest, I'm nervous about the next generation. I'm nervous for my kiddos. I got two kids. I have a two, almost a two-and-a-half-year-old named Kingston, and I got a seven-month-old named Carter. And apparently, as you can see, Kingston's having a great time there on the top, and Carter's like, yo, Dad, what's going on here? <laughs> When I walked in, I saw this, and I, and I should have uh, reprimanded Kingston, but I just started laughing. I said, hold on, let me get my camera. Um, I said, Kingston, what are you doing? He said, I'm bull riding. Touche, that's great, yeah. Uh, here's the challenge as a parent. I'm learning this, that, uh, that whenever we go out or if we're at home, trying to take a family picture is about nearly impossible. So here's my attempt to take a family picture uh, last time right here. Thought we're at a bench or at the restaurant, they're fed, bellies are happy, and that's always the case. Kingston's jumping ship, Cardiff's not even looking. If you guys have some texts or some techniques on how to get a family picture, everyone's looking at the same time, I'd love to hear them afterwards, okay? This was two weeks ago, I took this picture, we had a restaurant, and we were celebrating the fact that my wife's cousin was in town from the Midwest. And so my wife, uh, she is so cute, uh, but she got dolled up, she was looking hot. Um, so she put these turquoise earrings in that I bought her for, for Christmas, these beautiful turquoise earrings. And, and uh, we had a lunch, and we were there for about a couple hours. I'm really proud of my boys because they were, yeah, they were crazy. Um, but we go to leave, and I, girls, do you do this? My wife does this all the time. She checks for everything, and she just happened to touch her earring, and one was gone. gone. It, was, it was missing. And she said that she got this, like, sinking, deep, like, pit of the stomach feeling in there. Have you ever had that before? And she said, my earring, I, I got to find my earring. This is a special gift. And I said, oh, don't worry about it, babe. It was just in there. Are those the turquoise earrings? Oh. Um, those, those weren't cheap. Um, let's, uh, let's find those earrings. Let's find that earring, all right? So I had her show me what the one looked like. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the handmade one um, on a pastor's salary, right? Um, so we spent 35 minutes looking for this, this stinking earring. We didn't find it. We turned it up. We asked some people, excuse me, can you just move up? We're looking for an earring. That burger looks great, but uh, we need to find an earring. Hands, knees, uh, my hands are getting in goop that shouldn't be there as a restaurant. I won't tell you which restaurant we were at. Um, we didn't find anything. And then Katie's like, oh, let me check my purse. Let me check the, you know, let me check the baby's diaper. I'm like, what? The baby's diaper. We checked the baby's diaper, and it wasn't in there, thank God. Um, we ended up walking home. We lived about six blocks from the restaurant, and she was just defeated. She was just so sad, and I'm like, hey, yeah, it's going to be okay. Like, it's, it's just an earring. It's just a pain. We'll get something else. Yeah, I'm bummed, too. You know, that was the first time I ever bought you a pair of earrings, but it's just it's a pain. Uh, pause. Hit pause button real quick. Real quick. I, this, this whole week, I got sermons around two weeks ago because I'm preaching in Pursuit of Growth, and our series uh, had me preaching the, the passage, the, the, um, the parable of the lost son, the lost sheep the lost coin. You came from a heart of a pastor that I would just share some kind of insight with my wife in this critical time. Didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> Didn't even cross my mind. I didn't even pray with her. <laughs> I prayed individually. I'm like, yo, God, yeah, hook, 
me up, please. I know, you know, like I just, I, we, we need this airing. We go home, we get the kids to bed, and then uh, she said, I just, I got to go back. I, I got to go look. I got to find this again. And I'm like, well, you go do it. Okay, I'm going to go take a nap. Um, she goes, opens the door, and screams. She's like, my earrings! And I'm like, what? From the kitchen? I walk out there, and this is what I see. Her sandals on the welcome mat. And on the bottom of the one sandal that just happens to be turned upside down is the, her turquoise earrings. And I was like, yo, baby, let me tell you about the lost coin, the lost sheet, the lost son, you know? <laughs> like, isn't God cool? Isn't God amazing? God cares about the smallest things in our lives because we are his children. And he cares about the biggest of big deals because we are his children. When it comes to technology, he cares the way that we engage with it. He cares how we consume it. He cares that if it becomes the center of our lives, that we would be jealous. God, I love that God is a jealous God. Don't you? But he says, I don't want anything to come in between you and me because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He should be the alpha and the mega, and he is, but he's doing a lot. That's what we're talking about here in Christ Church. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. I thank you again for the beautiful harmony and partnership that's happening between Troy Ann and Connor Clark, between Pastor Rick and Pastor Kevin, and between the Orient Outreach Movement, which is really kind of sweeping its nature. Your spirit is on the move. And your presence is here, God. And when your presence is here, there's power in the name of Jesus. So would you meet with us individually right where we're at so you can take us where you want us to go, but would you meet with us collectively as a church so that we can become the bride of Christ that you want us to be, so we can have the kind of impact on the community that you want us to have, so people can understand that there's oceans of grace waiting for them, so that they can be invited to your kingdom to your world. So, Father, teach us right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Technology, I think the best definition, kind of tongue-in-cheek with it, I was reading um, uh, this book called uh, TechWise. Uh, you got to check it out. We're going to share a little bit of that's a great resource. And another one called Light Trip from Ontario Seminary. Uh, a lot of the thoughts that I want to bring to you guys is, is coming from that. It's not always the original thought. Um, but I got this from, from Alan Kerr, one, uh, one of the authors there. It says, technology is anything that was invented after you were born. <laughs> That's what technology is. Probably understands why we don't understand it so much. It's impacting. When we think of tech, when we think of technology, it's impacting us emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, and cognitively. This is, this is crazy. I didn't realize all this stuff until I started researching it, but have you ever thought about what happens in our brains? What happens to us as people cognitively when we consume the various forms of technology? They did new research through Barna's study, and a lot came out from that. Here's what they found. Basic neuroscience leads to a simple conclusion. Like, that's an oxymoron, by the way. Neuroscience is simple conclusion, I think. But um, anyways, basic neuroscience leads to a simple conclusion about technology. It's literally rewiring the brain. This is scary, folks. So when we consume technology, when we allow technology to just infiltrate who we are as people, that there's a new normal. There's re rewiring that happens in the brain. This is crazy. And so here's some insights that I found. These are cognitive concerns from the book Right Trip. They say this, the most common concerns are really kind of fourfold. They say, first, the brain finds that high-tech gadgets are rewarding. Anyone find high-tech gadgets rewarding? Guilty, right? That's not a bad thing, but can it become a bad thing if it consumes you? Absolutely it can. The technology isn't evil in of itself, but it can produce all kinds of evil, right? Here's the second one. The brain hates to be bored. The reason 
rewiring of the brain is saying that if we're not currently stimulated, if we're not currently connected, all of a sudden we're bored. <laughs> Let's try to replace with this bored, right? And gone are the times that we can just have stillness and silence and silence and because we're always connected. We can't be concerned. Number three, high-tech gadgets encourage us to multitask, to multitask. And we all have the ability to multitask at different times, but the challenge is what if we're multitasking all the time? For you moms out there, you realize, well, that's my world, you know, especially nursing moms. I'm multitasking all the time. That's okay, but what we're talking about in the context of this is technology. Is technology challenging you, uh, infiltrating you, defining how you view you? Are you constantly multitasking and unable to focus on a singular task? Here's the fourth concern. The light of high-tech devices disrupts our natural sleep cycles. You read any studies on that? I mean, the cell phone companies are in on this now. The software companies are in on this now. Where you can set a filter on your phone after whatever time you choose to reduce the amount of blue light, right? So that it doesn't keep you up, so it doesn't stimulate you. Now they're finding that that actually doesn't work. It's just a light emitting from a screen that disrupts a natural cycle. This is cause for concern. If it only stopped there, though. But technology doesn't stop there. It is impacting us. It impacts us relationally. It absolutely impacts us relationally. I read this about virtual and real relationships. What's the big difference? Is there a difference between real relationships and virtual relationships? You best believe it, buddy. Yeah, there is. Real relationships, i.e. face-to-face interaction, like knee-to-knee, they require certain factors in order to thrive, right? Here are three. They take time. They take effort. It takes energy, right, to, to, to establish a healthy relationship, and that's a good thing. But here's what's fascinating. It, it, these factors aren't essential for virtual relationships to thrive. They, they, they don't need to have those simple factors in order to be called a relationship. A tech relationship doesn't really take that much time, effort, or energy. Just look at Facebook. Look at Instagram. How long did it take you now to post something and to have a relationship, a tech relationship, and let people other know what's going on in your life so that you can continue that relationship. Seconds? Milliseconds? Right? How long did it take you to like someone else's face? Or someone else's cover? Not much time. So there are four risks, four risks to real relationships due in part to virtual relationships. Here's four of them. Connected but not but isolated. Somehow we are so connected but we feel isolated. How is that possible? You have 200 friends. You have a 1,000 friends. You have all these likes. And you're connected. But do you ever feel isolated? Here's what they're finding with Facebook. They feel so isolated, yet they're so connected. This is a danger. Hiding behind screens. This is happening all over the time, all over the place. Getting the message, but not the meaning. That's what we're finding in research is that people are, <laughs> they're getting the message, but they don't understand the meaning. Because the meaning is lost in translation into other spaces through technology somehow. And somehow this is opening the door to real life people. The more we're in front of screens, behind screens, in in rooms, isolated, the more the enemy's getting us. So be with it. The message spreads. <laughs> so there's an interview with this guy, Andy Crouch. He's the author of TechWise. And he's kind of the leading expert for, for this research that's coming out. He's, a, he's got great partnerships with Barna Research. So there's some brand new stuff. I'd encourage you to check that book out. But uh, listen to how he answers the question. What is the biggest challenge that parents are facing 
inherited cultural tradition. Even in the most expansive definition of technology, we're only 200 years into this story out of thousands and thousands of years of the human race. In many ways, we're 20 years into the real uh, effect of technology kind of in, in all of its ramifications. And so we, we are all just figuring this out as we go along. And of course, young people, uh, children, youth, young adults are, are really facile with this. They figure it out very quickly. Adults often just aren't motivated to figure it out, or sometimes a little slower. And so you also have this kind of turning upside down of expertise, where parents used to be the experts on the world. They knew uh, how to operate in the world, and they could teach their children that. Uh, they're better technically, but they actually, just like all, all the generations, are absolutely adrift in how we actually manage this in a way that's healthy. None of us know how to do this. We all need help. Uh, and so actually, I think this is not just a parenting problem or a family problem, it's a human problem. Um, and the kids, by the way, when, when we ask kids, uh, what do you wish was, m most wish was different in your relationship with your parents? Their number one answer is, I wish my parents would get off their screens and talk to me. And if only technology stopped there. But if only there was a cognitive issue, if only it was a relational issue, but it doesn't. The breaches don't stop there. Technology impacts us spiritually, too. It absolutely impacts us spiritually, because we are divinely designed for great relationships. Relationships with family and friends, classmates and coworkers, kids and our king, the king of kings. And somehow technology is finding its way into the middle of our relationships, if we allow it to. One of the things that Andy talks about in his book, and I don't have time to unpack it now, that's why I want you to go see it, but he talks about this idea that technology is finding its way in the middle of our relationships, in the middle of our lives. And that's a dangerous thing as Christians because there is one person that's called to be the middle of it, in the center of focus in our lives. So what they do is they physically look at the spacing and how technology works in the house, and they put it in the corners. They say, technology, you're going in the corners because there's only one person that gets to center of those corners. And they reprioritize really beautiful what they do. In fact, technology is trying to shape us. It's trying to define you and me. It'll even tempt you to believe the lie, which I believe comes straight from the pit of hell, the enemy himself, that your identity is found in that which you post, that which you share, that your social media is you. And we know <laughs> that that's a dangerous road. Just because the enemy has found a little device that's hopeless or, or, or just scary. What if there's another approach to tech, a way to embrace technology? Is it possible to embrace technology without it consuming us? I believe there is. What would it look like if we leveraged technology? We leveraged it. Leveraged our online experiences to enhance our offline community. Friends, last I checked, as Christians, our identity is found not in the things or ideals of this world. It's found in a person. That person's name is Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus. And scripture is very clear that, that you and me, that we are created in the image of God. In other words,
words, we're created in the image of our creator. Who is this creator? His name is Yahweh. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Lord of all. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Holy Spirit. He is three in one. And Genesis 1 helps unpack that the very first chapter of the Bible. This God, this glorious God wants us to understand that we are created by the Creator. And that creation, as the Creator creates you and me, we're created not only just to be created, but in the image of God. It's absolutely powerful. Let's go to Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, let us, Trinitarian language there, let us. I thought this was God creating. It is. But he's just in fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I'm a bit confused. I wish scripture was more clear on this one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Two verses. How many times did he use the language created or, or did he use the word image referring to himself and how precious we are in him? Let me read those two verses again and you count. Two verses. How many times is he trying to get it through us knuckleheads? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, number one, in our likeness so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. How many times? Six, right? Three times for each one. It's like he's saying, I want you to get this through your head morning, noon, and night. You are created, but not just created. You are created in the image of God. Church, we are created to love and reflect God's glory, His grace, His goodness every day, all the time. That's it. <laughs> that's what Colossians 3.17 says. That's what Paul's trying to help the church understand in Colossae, that, that whatever you do, work as if you're working unto the Lord that you are created in the image of this glorious God, that everything that you do should reflect His glory, should reflect who He is. When people see you, the child of God, they should see that. That's what they say. Our Creator loves and longs to be with those He created. And sometimes, just sometimes, if you're like me, and I know you are because you're human, you just need to be reminded of this truth. The truth that's found in Scripture, and that's what First—that's uh, what Second Peter talks about. The Apostle Peter helps people understand the things that they already know, but they need to be reminded of it because he's writing to a group of people that are being persecuted, who are being challenged with other insights, and he's saying, "Don't forget." He says this in in in, in, uh, in First Peter one twelve. He says, 12, "Verse twelve. So I will always remind you of these things." Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of your father. So church, this is what I want to do. I want to just remind you of the biblical truth that's in God's word that are for you and me. And I want to do this across this. I want to share some biblical boundaries that we can pull from the truth of scripture that are absolutely powerful. And I want to share it in the words of who's going to represent something found in the Bible. Here's the first one. P stands for time. Remember to be wise with 
your time. Remember to be wise with your time. When you're, when you're using technology, when you're on social media, when you're trying to help your kids have, or grandkids have some kind of boundaries, help them understand that their time should be used wisely. This is what Ephesians 5 says. Paul is talking about it. Ephesians 5, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Evil then and evil now. Because there's a prince of this air <laughs> that is going to try to steal, kill, and destroy you and me, and especially the church. But greater is he who is in you, that being Jesus Christ, than he who is in the world. So be wise with your time because you have a power through faith in Jesus who has anointed you to overcome that which is in the world. You don't have to sit here and be quiet. He'll tempt you. You can just say, get away, Satan. Be done. I'm going to be wise with the way I use my time. I will not be used in those things. The answer is not to eliminate all technology. It's a part of our culture. It's a fabric of who we are. Let's leverage it. One way to do that is be wise with our time. Mm. Everything. The word everything. Remember everything by prayer. This is Philippians 4. I love this. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Gosh, that's so hard to hear, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Really? <laughs> do not sweat the stuff. Really? Yeah, that's the standard. And we all fall short of that. That's why God's grace is so amazing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Because when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, anyone want to experience the peace of God that will surpass our understanding today? I do. I absolutely do. And I know you do too, especially those of you guys that are raising kids or have grandkids in the home or getting ready to. Technology is here to stay, and it's only to get more difficult if we allow it to infiltrate. Let's be wise with our time, and in everything, let's pray for the wisdom of God. He will answer those prayers. See command. See spiritual command. Remember the greatest commandment. I think we just need to be reminded that Jesus was being tempted, was being uh, just in this, this, uh, this environment where he was uh, under trial, and, and they were trying to trick Jesus, the wisest teacher to have ever lived. God in human form. Matthew 22 talks about this in verse 34. He says, but when the Pharisees heard, these religious leaders, when the Pharisees heard that he, being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus, him, with this question. So this expert of religion is going to try to trap Jesus. How'd that go for him? <laughs> right? He says this in verse 36, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? In other words, Jesus, which one out of all 600 plus commandments, which one's the, the most important? You say you're from God. You say you have wisdom or constraints. Tell me which one is the most important. Here's the trap. If he says, if he singles out one, then that nullifies or diminishes the impact or the power of all the other ones, right? He knows what he's doing. He's the master. Right? And Jesus responded in a way that only the wisdom of God could respond and convict this man and convict us church today because he said, you want to know what the most important commandment is? You abide by this one and you'll get it right. 
But it's going to take the Spirit of God in you to really get this thing right. He says this in verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Amen. Love God with all that you have. Love God with all that you are. And then everything else will follow along. In fact, in another translation, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets, all of them hang on this one commandment, to love God with everything you got. And then he gives them a bonus. He says, oh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself too. So love God and love people. Start there. And everything else will just fall in line like it's supposed to because you're keeping the main thing, the main thing. H, handiwork. (laughs) Handiwork? Yeah, handiwork. Remember, you are God's handiwork. Ephesians 2 talks about this in verse 10. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. What kind of image do you picture? What what do you think of when you hear the word handiwork? I'll tell you what I think of. I think of the word handyman. My dad is a handyman. He started the handyman business because he's very good at what he does with his hands. He, He used all kinds of handiwork, right? In fact, we built a website for him, and we make these T-shirts, and on the back it says, Tibbs, that's my last name, Tibbs the Tool Man, okay? <laughs> he is kind of a tool now that I think about it, but um, Tibbs the Tool Man, and on the phrase on the back said, Jack of all trades, master of none. And I love that. He is the jack of all trades, and he would be the first to tell you this humility. He's the master of none, but he's able to do a lot of trades and do them well because he's a handyman. Does God see us the same way? Absolutely. Church, he sees you as his handiwork, his handyman and woman. Not the master of anything, because there's one master, and his name is Jesus Christ. But he has set you up, he has identified you as his handiwork. When you think of handiwork, and you look at the Greek in this, this is so beautiful. The Greek word is poiema. Poiema, say that with me, church. Say poiema. Poiema, yeah, well done, now you know Greek. Um, the, the Greek word poiema, translated here, um, it, 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 this is where we get our English word poem where we get poem. It's a work of art. The work of a master artist. Do you realize, church, that you are God's masterpiece, his work of art? So the next time someone looks at you and in frustration says, wow, you're a real piece of work. (laughs) You know how you should respond? Yeah, that's right, I am. Artwork, baby. (laughs) I love how same verse, but the New Living Translation translates this one. New Living Translation says this, but we are God's He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, I ask you the same question. What do you think of when you hear the word masterpiece? Because these are words inspired by the Holy Spirit for the church at Ephesus and the church today to understand what God thinks of you and me. He calls us his handiwork. He calls us his masterpiece. When I think of masterpiece, I think of a painting. I think of something that takes time. That on a blank canvas... When, when mixed with talent and time and love and care is a beautiful thing. And I want to invite the band to come back up because we're going to wrap it up here. But we are God's masterpiece created in anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you feel like a masterpiece today? How has technology blemished the image that you feel about yourself? Because Ephesians 2 is very clear. When Jesus thinks of you, he sees a masterpiece. 
When God thinks about your image, your identity, he sees a masterpiece. But here's the challenge. Sin entered the world and tried to cover up this image of a masterpiece. We are created in the image of God. And so if this painting over here represents God himself and this represents humanity, you and me, we're created in that image. We are not God. There is one God, but we are created in the image of God. And as we live our life and we go through trial after trial, struggle after struggle, we sin, we do. And that separates us from a holy God. But Jesus says, I love you, right? You are my masterpiece. But we don't feel that sometimes. We, we, what we see sometimes is that the things we say kind of mess up this masterpiece. The things we do or should have done starts creating a different masterpiece. Well, it's not a masterpiece. It's a different image. And the sin to cover up this masterpiece along all of a sudden, we don't feel like a masterpiece because of what we've and the way that we've lived or the things that we walk and the work of Christ on the cross redeems all things and Jesus says though your sins are like scarlet I will make them white as snow through faith in Jesus we are cleansed we are made whole and when God sees us through faith in Jesus what he sees is a creation is a masterpiece the forgiveness that comes through the power and redemption of the cross, Jesus, it's not about what we do, it's what he has done. Jesus has redeemed all things. And it's like he takes a rag to us and he wipes it clean. He wipes it clean. And though we might see some, some streaks or feel like there's still streaks on there, the reality is, spiritually, we're white as snow because of what he has done on the cross. He sees us as a masterpiece. He sees us as his handiwork. He wants to use us, church. He wants to use us in a way that goes well beyond our own abilities. We are part of something that through faith in Jesus Christ is way bigger than ourselves. That is the truth. So my challenge to you, challenge to us, is is there a way that we can leverage technology in a way that connects us to the one who loves us so much and connects us to others that we love and so that we can reflect the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge. It's only going to happen as we're empowered and anointed to the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your truth, for your scripture, that though our sins are like scarlet, we are made, we are cleansed as because of the work on the cross. You put death to death, and then three days later, you rose again in triumphant victory to offer us life, and life to the full. Life eternal, but life here and now. Father, I pray that as we move forward in this time, as we move forward in communion, you would help us to remember the sacrifice that was made, your blood shed, your body broken for us, because of your cross. You see us as your handiwork, as a masterpiece. Let us understand that in a new and a fresh way this morning so that we can live that out for your glory, for your kingdom's sake, we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as we take communion, we have...
bread here that represents the broken body of Jesus. And then we have juice here that represents the blood shed for you, for me, for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain to take away the sin of us. Of us. So as we come, as Jesus challenges us to, as we take communion, as we take and engage in the Lord's Supper, which he instituted with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take this bread and take this juice, would you in your own heart, in a posture of prayer, remember the sacrifice of Jesus and then take this as a thankful heart. If you're not quite yet a Christian, if you haven't come to faith in Jesus and this doesn't make much sense to you, I just encourage you not to take it. Try to pray up top if you it comes by. But watch what happens. Nothing magical about the juice or the bread. It's what it symbolizes. A very real person who died for you and for me and is crowned with this star of Father, as we take communion, I pray, Father, that you would help us remember the goodness of grace and how we come to the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this time and opportunity to take communion. We will remember you. And we ask that you would make this in and through us and through us that day. And we reflect your glory and your grace.